Good morning, this is James from Ludic Language Pedagogy, and today we are interviewing John Reinhardt, one of the masters, one of the people that has explored this field more than anybody else out there. So um, it's a real honor for me to interview John this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thanks, James. I, that's very flattering. I appreciate it. I'm honored to take part in the podcast. I think uh, what you're doing here with LLP is forward thinking and I uh, wish it all the luck uh, that that I can because I really think you're uh, something great here so I'm happy to join thank you very much John that's, that's really uh, inspiring to hear to hear those encouraging words from you um, so we are framing this episode as um, one of our origin stories episodes so I'm going to be asking John the set questions um, that we have decided to look into all uh, language teachers and researchers using games. I'm also have, I also have some additional questions for John um, based on some things that I'm just personally super interested in. So this will be both uh, a deep dive into John Reinhardt and also an origin story of John Reinhardt. So let's begin. So the first question, who, what are, who inspired you? I mean, I actually think I know the answer to this question based on all of the work that I've read of you, but what, what, what or who inspired you to start teaching with games or using games in research? Well, um, so I got my master's in the early 90s and I went and I taught in Japan and I, I taught with, I, I worked with kids and I just found that, you know, in general, games worked so well in motivating students, getting them interested in the content. It didn't really matter what the content was as long as they could play a game doing it. So our entire uh, English conversation school, this was in um, Chibaken, uh, mm. it was designed around you know, different kinds of games that you would bring into the classroom when you, uh, when you taught. And uh, that, that fascinated me. Um, I also, um, you know, my background, I am uh, 52, I, was, I grew up in the 70s, and I was that generation that sort of the arcade revolution hit us all at the same time. And all of a sudden, all my friends, you know, when we were in junior high, just wanted to go and play um, arcade games. Uh, many people had um, Ataris and Intellivisions and Colecos mm. at home. We all had like the handheld um, football games and all these things. Uh, some of those early video games. Um, I, I played it a little bit, but I didn't have uh, my own console. Uh, and then I just sort of, I studied languages. I lived, I was a German major. I lived right. in Austria for a couple of years. And then I, um, my master's, I to Japan, I taught for a while. Yeah. Um, and all the while this was happening, uh, I would occasionally play games and one of my video games, one of my favorite ones. Um, and I still am, am into it or, uh, SimCity, I got into SimCity, mm -hmm. I got into Civilization, those kinds of um, simulation or strategy games um, really right. interested me. And I, I wasn't really interested in other uh, games. Um, some adventure games were very interesting to me, but I wasn't too into it uh, until I really started thinking about the concept of play right. when I was in graduate school. Okay, so that was after the Masters or during the Masters? That was actually after the Masters. This was my graduate school when I was uh, at Penn State. This okay. was in the early 2000s. Hmm. And um, I took a class with uh, a scholar named Julie Bells, and we were looking at language use and language learning and language play right. among uh, learners of German who were communicating with learners of English in Germany uh, on through chat and email. And uh, she... Um, 
introduced me to the work of uh, of Guy Cook, yeah, whose whose book, a uh, two thousand book uh, called Language Play Language Learning, mm-hmm. really opened my eyes to the whole notion of um, language play uh, and how important and formative it was in mm. um, learning. And uh, other scholars at in my graduate school at Penn State were um, sociocultural theorists, and uh, they looked at how, um, you know, social activity, uh, including that around play, um, you know, led to learning and what mm-hmm. kind of theoretical frameworks could we use to explain what was going on. And so uh, what, what really inspired me was Cook's arguments and other people's arguments that there was something about communicative language teaching that was off right. because of this argument. And this is something that, you know, when you my master's in the 90s and from teaching, it was just like this mantra, communicative language teaching. Yeah, yeah, I think it still is, right? It is, isn't it? Uh, And and so, you know, the idea that, well, learners must meaning and it must be a meaningful uh, task. uh, Mm. And then incidentally, they can focus on the form that they're using. It has to have this, you know, you know, meaningfulness is at the heart of it. Right. And, uh, you know, then reading what Cook was saying about how form uh, is meaningful. Sometimes right. it's fun to play with sounds of a language. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, so I, I come from a musical family. Uh, my oh, family are all, family are all uh, uh, opera singers, actually. And so oh, wow. as a child, I would always hear my parents singing in other languages. And it was to me as a kid, it was just fun to like try to make sounds in other languages and, right. you know, sing along with them. And so there was sort of this, you know, this attitude or this feeling about like, oh, this is why learning is le- using another language is fun is because it has this, you're able to like, you know, play with the sounds. Yeah. And uh, anyway, when Cook, when I read that up from Cook, I was like, that makes so much sense. And why are we telling students that they shouldn't say, you know, memorize a poem? Mm. Or they shouldn't sing a song, or they shouldn't, um, you know, every task has to have some like real world, meaningful, whatever that means. Yeah, um, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it also know, kind of downplays explicit teaching and learning as well, right? The, uh, the concept of incidental learning and post task focus on form, and it, it kind of pushes exactly. explicit teaching to the, to, the, to the end, which is very different from a, a you know, social cultural theoretic perspective. Um, that's right, which assumes or which recognizes that um, sometimes you know, explicit attention uh, and, and raising uh, language awareness uh, of form and meaning and function mm. and how they, how they are interconnected mm. to genre and context of, of situation, et cetera, um, are, uh, you know, can, be, can be effective and powerful for, for some students. Absolutely. Um, what, in, in some then... We can say that this field of SLA and or even teaching languages, it's, it's a bit of a mess. There's 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 lots of different approaches. There's there's explicit, there's implicit. Um, we're trying to weather the storm. Um, and yeah. yeah. And and you know what I found, and you know I'm sure you see this too, is that good teachers figure out what works for their students at a particular context in a particular teaching moment or situation yeah. and uh often that isn't necessarily it isn't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily fit with the dogma of a particular method 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think my my teaching style is a bit of a kitchen sink in terms of approaches. I try to incorporate things that I've been reading, um, you know, like multi literacies or t TBLT or you know SCT. All of these different things. I mean, the more that you read, uh, the more you have to use in your classroom, really, like different tools. So, yeah, yeah I think what um, I often think about is teaching as kind of iterative game design as well. So. Mm -hmm. You you throw something in the classroom, see if it works. Um, a lot of teachers would perhaps give up there, but um, I, I try it three or four times until you polish it into something nice that works. Um, I think the yeah. idea of grit and when working in the classroom to be a good teacher is yeah, it's definitely not hinged on a particular methodology. It's more about your own yeah your own context. That's right, that's yeah. right, and that's something I feel like uh, you know in teacher education thing teachers to realize uh, or teachers and you know, people who want to be teachers to realize that um, it's about sort of their empowerment uh, mm. and, you know, figuring out what meshes with their philosophy of teaching and what right. fits with the needs of the students. Uh, but then all along, you know, they're hearing this message from the curriculum coordinators um, and the, you know, the mandated syllabi of their mm. administration, their administrators that they have to do it in a certain way. So there's this conflict immediately when, um, you know, when you're saying this to, to uh, a teacher and you're saying, this is, you know, you should figure mm. this out and, and do what works and, and, you know, develop this sense of teaching. And, um, and then they go and they're like, no, we have to like, you know, be on page six at oh, like you yeah. know on this on day six you know oh, that, so that, that like, is how i started at my university as well it was completely mandated by the textbook pages and it was just soul crushing so uh, yeah well you know i think i think games are little they're a bright light to some people and they mm. realize wow this thing that you know is so engaging and so um enjoyable could actually be uh, a way of you know a way of, of teaching <laughs> So just a very brief outline of your uh, your teaching with games. And so I, I just learned now that you actually taught in Japan. I didn't know that before. Um, so I guess that was your your origin in teaching with games. And how has that progressed up until now? Because um, to me, I, I know that you're kind of more of a teacher trainer now rather than a teacher with yeah. games. So if you could give us a brief outline of your progression up to now, that would be great. Uh, well, um... <laughs> I say brief. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I taught, um, taught at a, an English conversation school. Then I yeah. taught in an intensive English program in the U S uh, and there were, um, some opportunities to teach with board games, um, mm -hmm. you know, that I enjoyed. This was in the nineties. Mm. Uh, and then when I did my PhD uh, and I went on to, um, you know, become a professor of applied linguistics, um, I, I actually never have. Uh, had the chance to myself teach mm. directly um, with games. I have always worked with graduate students uh, who then uh, have taught with games or right. they have um, looked at game-based um, learning, whether informal or formal. Yep. Um, and so I haven't had that experience. And this is something that people in applied linguistics, and actually my my mentor, dissertation director, Co colleague um, Steve Thorne. Uh, also, mm. you know, we've talked about this when times in applied linguistics get to this position where you know you don't have direct contact with the people who you know you are theorizing about what's happening, and so it's uh, it's it's a bit of a challenge. 
Right. But, um, you know, in grad school, I researched language play and I looked at, you know, learner data. Uh, and then I um, actually did my dissertation on purpose linguistics and international teaching assistants. Uh, use of directives in office hours consultations. Um, right. That was quite different. Um, you know, it didn't really have much to do with uh, games or even technology. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I defended my dissertation and Steve Thorne, my uh, advisor, and this was in 2007, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, he handed me World of Warcraft and he said, John, have, we've got to play this. Oh my God. This, this brings oh, me on to the next question. The, the, so I was going to happening in yeah. war pegs have to play this. I was like, Hey, okay. You know, now that I finished my dissertation, I can play games. <laughs> you know what? Around 2005, I was heavily into world of Warcraft. I just, I wasn't uh, a language teacher or involved in the scene. Uh, I say the scene, the field at all at that point, but I'm just insanely jealous that you and Steve Thorne and everybody got to play world of Warcraft together and write papers. It's just, I feel like I really missed uh, out there. So it was because of Steve's kind of, you know, just willingness to uh, try out new things. And he was following the work of um, uh, Constance Steinkuhler. Okay. Yeah. Kurt Squire, who worked mm. with Jim G at uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin at the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, they were looking at gaming as literacy practice, so right. literacy, literacy practices. And um, he had this sort of uh, informal group of, um, scholars looking at gaming and literacy uh in wow and so mm. at one point i remember going in and going into um where the horde world is and had like a wedding and it was just it was just really <laughs> interesting and we we would then you know, we would then we created our own little guild and yeah what was the name of the guild it was something scholarly oh, yeah, wasn't it the armada no it was the, the armada because julie oh, okay julie sykes was um sort of uh, she was involved and some of the people who worked with her on her dissertation which was um like they actually made a, a synthetic immersion environment for yeah. studying pragmatics and they were also in the guild and we would go in and play and um, is that where you met judy then through world of warcraft well i had met her um earlier through calico okay. uh, which is computer assisted language instructional consortium um mm. i'm actually president of it this year actually but about, about to be finished um and you know, we had, I had been going to conferences since about 2000. And so when you go to those conferences, you start to get to know this community. Mm. Um, and she was there and she had gotten her master's and focused on computer assisted language learning. And uh, she was in the, in the guild. And um, we, uh, you know, our, our research interests really aligned uh, in the next few years. And um, yeah. he ended up, uh, at AAAL, I can't remember when, but it was in DC, and we were like, we have to write a book. we got to write a book about games, because yeah. I just felt that there was you know, so many things that we wanted to say, and that's actually where we came up with the idea of the game-based, enhanced, and informed mm -hmm. uh, framework, because the idea that was, was your class or your curriculum based on a game? Was it enhanced by a game, or was mm. it informed by a game? Mm. Um, and that sort of we thought we could clarify some of the confusion mm. that you could actually use commercial off-the-shelf games yeah. um, in the classroom. You didn't have to build them. You could, but that's, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Mm. Um, 
So yeah, I think that the the language at Playbook was um, extremely timely, and it apart from your own um, work last year, the 2019 book. Um, apart from those two, I don't see anything really trying to define the field um, as much as that. So yeah, you're definitely a pioneer wow. in in that there's, regard. I think there's, there's Hio Rinders had an edited volume. That's that right. Yeah. Volume. He had a chapter that uh, also attempted to sort of define the mm. scope of what people were doing. My first impression of, you know, game like language play and thinking about how, you know, there's something dispositional about learning uh, and learning and and with sort of in a playful sort of voluntary uh, way that um, that I, I tried to capture with that idea, but. You know, it's 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 such a new field, and and so many of these mm. terms are just being flown. You know, it's it's hard to know what to use. Um, mm. I recommend to people, and and I see you've done this, is you know just to define it. You know, when you start your paper, uh, yeah. You know, what's happened over time is sometimes these fields just pick a name and then they stick with it. I really kind of feel like DGBLL is what we're going to have to stick with for a while to refer to I, the whole I hope, field. I hope not, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, I guess we can get in the weeds slightly with this. But, um, yeah, so first yeah. of all, I'll, I'll probably start by saying that I think you you and Julie Sykes are pretty much the only people that have tried to come up with a taxonomy for mm. teaching with games, teaching languages with games. Um, so, first off, that that's obviously fantastic. Um, I know we had a little chat about um, mm -hmm. not seeing quite so well. I just I just don't understand. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm not smart enough. But the the difference between game enhancing game based is just not that clear for me. So well, um, we we realized we needed to tell teachers something, and yeah. we need to tell them you know are they going to be working with a game that was designed? Yeah. Or not necessarily for language learning. It's like working with authentic mm. materials meant for native speakers as opposed mm. to sometimes it makes a difference, sometimes it doesn't make a difference. I'll say yeah. that. You yeah, know, I think I, mean, I think my only argument is that regardless of the game type, I mean I do I mean I totally understand that you know, an educational game is gonna require different um constructs, different supports, different scaffolding materials than um, a vernacular game, an off-the-shelf game. So I, I understand that the fundamental approach for using them in the classroom may be different, but I still think that pedagogy um, is important for both of those contexts, right? Regardless of uh, the game. You know, it, it might be an educational game that attempts to build the pedagogy into the design of the game. Yeah. So it would be um, for a vernacular game. Yeah. But I still think that the teacher has a, a, a big role to play in either of those situations, though, right? Absolutely. I think the only difference would be, um, you know, if somebody were using a game informally to learn mm. with, uh, mm. and you know, this is happening, and I'm I'm reading and writing a lot about, yep, going to be on the class in these yeah. days, and uh, you know, I and I think this was in my my first chapter of my book. You know, when mm. I looked at how people were discussing it, it was just amazing to me how sort of this pedagogical knowledge or this knowledge about like how learning works effectively just kind of emerged out of this community mm. discussion of like, hey, you could use this game and you have to do this when you do this with the game. And it was very kind of, uh, it was very organic and piecemeal and a lot of rule mm. of thumb, but 
like when you look at it all together, you realize there's a lot of knowledge there. And so, you know, maybe people do sort of accommodate that and they figure it out if they're very uh, dedicated to it. Yeah, I think you could perhaps describe it as um, an informal game-based language teaching context. So the the two the the demarcation that I use is game-based language learning versus game-based language teaching. And, and mm. as a as a boots on the ground teacher in the classroom, um, I th- my own perception is that the field of, of well let, let's let's throw it right back. For a start, I have a problem with the DGBLL like. I think the mm. digital means this is this is one of the reasons why we started LLP because both me and Jonathan we don't really use a lot of digital games in the classroom for logistic um, reasons and mm. to have to have done all this work with board games and then try to publish it somewhere and the only place where people are really publishing on games and language teaching was within Call it was it was um, just not really very useful to have d at the start (laughs) so first you're right and and i have to say we haven't really thought about this framework game-based game enhanced informed from the perspective of non-digital games so i'll just throw that out there because i i really am the more of the more uh non-digital games i play and get into like Mm. world of of uh games has become so sophisticated and complex and right. some of these are so interesting i used to play in high school a little bit of D, and i'm interested in this idea of role playing and, and all these social you know all the social interactions yeah. that happen that can lead to learning affordances i mean that's mm. super interesting and that really isn't about the digital uh, context yeah so, i think uh, what the critique that i have of that is that the, the digital game-based language learning there's, there's two issues one is that it, it does out it does rule out uh, a number of um, game platforms like tabletop games or parlor games or things like this. Oh, um, you know, and the second the second would be that it, it, the, the language learning part the the learning just kind of discounts the teacher. It, it's kind of tech over teaching or tech over ped- pedagogy. So yeah, that's a yeah. that's a problem. I agree with that. Um, yeah. face that in computer assisted language learning because the idea is that you can somehow make the teacher relevant or you know you can teacher proof. The, mm. the software so that you know, no matter how bad the teacher is <laughs> they mm-hmm, won't mm-hmm. screw up the, pos- the the you know the learning that would come of it i mean there, there is a lot of uh yeah i mean we like to say that a good teacher can can get a lot out of a bad game um, right. the other way around perhaps perhaps not that's right that's so feasible yeah that's an that would be a really interesting paper <laughs> find, like some bad teachers and good games and <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, uh, I think um, you know the other thing is with the the growth of um, you know pervasive games or games that are you mm. know trans, transmedia sort of applications where you know it might be a combination of board games or tabletop games and cards and mm. digital and mobile and place based you know and everything's kind of merging in this way. So I think you've got some good points there for sure. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. Um... Yeah, I think the idea of you know game. Um, if we go back to you know two thousand seven ish, the the James Paul G um, work on you know affinity spaces and learning around games. I mean, I think a lot of teachers think that the learning only happens during gameplay. Like that's the only time that learning happens. Whereas we obviously know that you know. The, uh, sorry, I, I just I messed up my computer a minute. Then 
yeah, obviously learning happens all, all around games. And so we're, we're the idea oh. of have, having a game-based pedagogy where maybe gameplay only happens, well, for, for example, my own context, we only play games once in seven weeks, but all of those weeks around gameplay are involved with the game still. So, Great. yeah, it's like slowing it's it down. And, you, you think about how, like, you know, a, a computer game, you have to turn it on and enter it. And then when you're finished, you you turn it off and it's sort of, so it's, it's demarcated very clearly by this beginning and this end. But with tabletop games and some of these other types of games, sometimes it kind of, you know, kind of move into, you're like, oh, you know, we're talking about the game now. We're not talking about it. We're talking, you know, mm. as if we're in the game. And so I, I think the boundaries, you know, the, the magic circle. The magic circle, there, yeah. I knew that right, was coming. <laughs> it's a little bit less, uh, a little bit. It's a bit more merged, fine. less salient. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'd like to move on to talking very briefly, or not maybe, about um, bridging activities. This framework that you came up with um, with uh, Steve Thorne. Um, where did it come from, and how have you seen it being being implemented? Well, I um, it it happened. I was I was actually in grad school. It was my I think my second to last or my final year, and Steve and I were working on this this idea um looking at how you know there was there's such an increase in vernacular digital activities i'll use that term vernacular because i right I, 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 I write a lot about that but i mean uh extracurricular outside of schools mm-hmm. and you know, up until like about 2000 People had some technology at home, but, you know, the internet wasn't really connecting people to the degree it is now, especially mm. with social media. Um, and so, you know, what had happened, social media started meaning that students were coming into classrooms with all these digital habits, you know, a digital um, community. They were part of digital communities outside of school. They were, you know, they had digital habits, I guess, you know, they would, they would do things with, I, at the time it was instant messenger and everybody was instant messaging. Everybody uh, right. Well, IRC or is it just after IRC? Yeah, it was a little after IRC, I think. Um, <laughs> okay. But the, uh, you know, we were just trying to think, you know, here people are using technology. They're using language with technology and they're so into it. They're mm. just so into it. And all these communities uh, around the world of people talking about um, and doing things with language through technology. And uh, how can we somehow, you know, inform a pedagogy or, or how can we inform pedagogy by this, this phenomenon? What can we do? Yeah. And uh, we just thought, you know, if there was a way that we could bring those into the classroom mm. to make you know, language learning in the classroom real by learners that the things that they do with language and their affinities um, have parallels uh, in the culture of study. Um, and he had worked closely with, um, um, uh, uh, I can't remember her first name, but La- Lave, Jean, Jean Lave okay. at yep. Berkeley in his graduate program. Wow. So he was very familiar with situated learning. Situated learning, yeah. This idea of um, you know, how have to sort of connect with what we're doing and and mm. connect with what we're learning and do it to really learn it and then to do something. Yeah, the, I think just just it. in case the audience are not 100% familiar with the, the terminology, the, I think the easiest way to conceptualize situated learning is the idea of, of a kind of an apprenticeship, right? So it's 
you learn on the job you learn with an expert as you're going along yeah you learn by experiencing or doing something uh and so you have this kind of embodied um mm. element to how you learned it and it's sort of um so it has a strong a, idea of participation doesn't it yeah absolutely yeah so you know so the idea with bridging was just a new way of kind of bringing that idea into people's understanding with technology mediated activities mm. um like chatting or emailing or you know eventually gaming mm. and uh we then came up with a framework um based on it's kind of a kind of cyclical in like like multiliteracies or like situated uh learning that you know you have this experiential element and then you have this analytical element and mm. then you may have this this part where you need to reflect on it and then you need to sort of uh experiment with it and mm. we tried to build the sort of just a way of thinking about how to design you know a lesson uh that would reflect this idea by first having students you know think about what they do and how can they um find that in you know using technology to find that in uh the culture of study and then bring it uh and then kind of step apart step a little bit back from it and try to analyze it and see like you know well why was this used why was this language mm. used this context um what um purpose did it serve uh how would you participate in this if you uh were going to um you know use language in this way and so it just it was a uh it was a way of 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 bringing that together um yeah and I mean, in terms of like how people I think have used it, I I am not really too familiar with it. Every once in a while, I, I run across something, and it's, yeah. it's it's the article is super is really heavily cited. Um, mm. So I I just think you know, I, and I hope that it's had uh, some kind of a, an impact on what it means to you know use authentic. How do you how do you motivate students? Uh, how do you bring their everyday technology? mediated activities into the classroom in a way that can be productive and lead to, mm. you know, learning. Yeah, um, that's great. Um, I know of only, yeah, like you, like you said, I think that it is cited a lot and only a few studies really look at trying to implement it. Um, I personally have implemented it in my classroom and I am writing a paper right now, oh. writing, writing up um, what I found. I can tell you about it briefly here. So um, first of all, the bridging activities to me, um, it does, yeah, it does closely mirror this, this multi-literacies approach to, to teaching and the idea of connected learning, bringing the students, uh, again, we, we talked about this off podcast, but the idea of bringing students social capital, like what they know into the classroom and starting from there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the bridging activities compared to multi-literacies for me, um, multi-literacies, it, it's quite impenetrable. It's, it's, it's an amorphous for me at least, an amorphous blob of different approaches and practices, and it just seems a little bit difficult to implement, whereas bridging activities really just came up with a very simple, I mean, if you don't mind me using that word, the very simple framework of, one, of um, collecting materials, analyzing them, and then participating yourself. So a very uh, easy-to-follow framework for using uh, well, students. I'm glad it seems simple because that means that will attempt it you know i mean yeah, yeah. I, I think that was the idea is uh so i i mean and and when i experience when i go into so i i'm a um pretty advanced speaker of german and sometimes i'll go into the german internet and i'll look and i'll you know listen to some i'll go to youtube or i'll i'll go to some website 
And I think about, you know, well, how as a learner am I paying attention to um, the kinds of language that uh, people are 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 using? Uh, and you know, it's about what I what I'm interested in. Um, mm. And so, you know, that collecting, even though that's a metaphor, it sort of has that that uh, connotation of um, you know, I have the agency to explore mm, and find mm. what I want and uh, bring that back and then look at it more critically. Yeah, it's, it's extremely important. Um, I'm involved in the uh, Jap- in, <clears throat> excuse me, in, I'm, a, I'm a Japanese speaker, so I'm, I'm involved in helping people learn Japanese. And people ask me, you know, oh, how can I learn Japanese? And I always start with, well, follow people on Twitter that that are in, that are doing the same thing that you'd be doing in English. For example, if you're into, let's say, Overwatch, the the video game, why don't you follow some Japanese Overwatch players and start from there? So this idea of interest driven, it's mm-hmm. super super important to keep your motivation high. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So in terms yeah. of bridging activities, the way that I used it was, I started with this concept of this the the textbook I'm, that I'm using in class probably has no bearing on these students lives outside of the classroom they've got no real interest in in planning a party between each other they're all monolingual Mm -hmm. learners yet i'm pretty sure that most of them have a hobby i see them playing games at the start of class i see them watching um, videos they're wearing band t-shirts you know that they have interests in something so let's start from there and i i have some experience using reddit in the classroom as well um I'm, i'm teaching you know, university students. So the idea of expletives and you know, dodgy pictures and memes and stuff—it's—it's it's not, it's not something you can use in an elementary school. But at the university, I think it's—it's it's okay. So, so I introduce Reddit and I just shock them. I say, okay, for example, what 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 is your interest to a student? And he'll say, oh, I'm interested in making Gundam plastic models. Okay, okay, watch this. Go on Reddit, and then there's a subreddit. And it's English speakers talking about his hobby that he's super invested in. And so I say, look, you can go and analyze this subreddit, see what they're talking about, see what they're not talking about. You know, what kind of expertise do you have in this particular field that you that you could then participate within later? So um, that's how I used it in, in my classroom. I, I, I took their interests. I got them to consider what all of their interests are in many different in many different fields um, and then based on their interest, create small groups. And then together, they would go on a particular subreddit, analyze the hell out of it, like look at all the different kinds of posts, um, what languages, what language they were using, what, what expressions. We'd look at memes, we would look at um, swear words, we would look at many different things. Then from then, they would, find, they would find this kind of gap that they could then participate in. So it's not quite related to games, but a student was heavily interested in the NBA. And he knew um, some information about a Japanese player that's playing in the NBA that he could then, you know, provide to the subreddit. And he fielded many questions from the subreddit about this particular player that they didn't know. So it was just a really organic um, experience. um, But um, I found that 90% of the students, I I teach uh, computer science students mainly, 90% of the students went on to gaming subreddits. So... I am actually framing this paper from um, a game-based language teaching um, perspective, saying that actually you can do all this stuff with games as well, um, not actually playing them, but getting involved in the communities. So, yeah, yeah, look, yeah that sounds like a, a great project. I, I'm looking forward to to seeing it. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
and published. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, you know, I, I, when I was in Japan, uh, I was in, um, second time I, I lived in Miyazaki for three years. Oh, wow. Nice. And I, uh, I had studied Japanese and it just takes, I, I, I tell people that after trying to study Japanese, German sem- seemed like an accent of English. I mean, the two <laughs> Japanese was so, there was so much more learning involved. Right, um, right. I, you know, people were like, oh, you, you should you have a hobby. You have to. So I got pottery and I went to and I joined a pottery, a toge studio. Right. And right. my Japanese proficiency just shot up because uh, it wasn't about like teaching me Japanese. It wasn't about really right. learning Japanese. It was about me. Like, you know, being part of this little group of people who were mm. helping you know, teach each other how to um, make pottery. Yeah. It was interesting. I mean, so. Situated my, learning right there. Yeah. It was situated learning for sure, you know. Mm. That's fantastic. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to jump on to some uh, hopefully quicker questions and learn a bit, a little bit more about your context, if you don't mind. Okay. So what kind of institution do you work at? I'm at uh, the University of Arizona, uh, which is in Tucson, Arizona, uh, down the road from uh, Arizona State University, which is where Jim G was. I think he just retired. Um, and there's sort of a bigger gaming uh, scholarship, community of gaming scholarship there at ASU. But um, I am also uh, in a uh, master's of TESOL program um, in an English department here at University of Arizona, and I'm also part of the uh, PhD wow. in Second Language Acquisition and Teaching. And I've uh, directed three dissertations that were focused specifically on gaming um, and learning languages uh, with games. Wow. Busy. Um, both Chinese, <laughs> Arabic, um, and English. I've uh, been here for about 12 years. Um, so, gotcha. Yeah. How widespread is the use of games at the institution? Um, oh, you know, in, a lot of it I guess, goes back to that problem of, you know, when you are, let's say, a grad student and you're teaching Spanish 101, um, that sort of first semester Spanish at most American universities, uh, you are given your syllabus and you are told what you're going to teach and here is what the test is. So there isn't the opportunity to use uh, for pedagogical innovation to the extent that you might imagine. Now, my university, I think there's a little bit more in the languages because we have this PhD program in, in SLAT. And um, what has happened with the students I've worked with is that they have um, often done something outside of the classroom as extra credit. I had one student, and I actually wrote about this in my book in the final chapter. Um, she wanted to do this gamification project and sort of gamify her curriculum. And since she had taught a writing class for uh, um, a freshman composition class for a couple semesters, um, she was allowed to uh, alter the curriculum for one semester and make mm. a special call for students who were interested in this to come in. And we did a little project with some of them. We still had to have them uh, volunteer and do it outside of the class. Um, mm participate in a in a project on interactive fiction okay involvement yeah yeah that's the last chapter in the uh the book isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah so it's not as widespread as i'd like but um i think um, you're obviously spearheading a change there then i'm trying but (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah the the class do you teach a class on using game or 
So, for example, how, how do games fit into your curriculum or how you teach? Well, I teach a class every year on um, internet technologies and second and foreign language teaching and learning. It's like sort yeah. of a computer-assisted language learning course. So I have a unit on games, um, sometimes two weeks, sometimes three weeks. Uh, I and I've, had, I've actually had a whole class on games. Before. I hope in the future to have entire class on games as well but uh mm. there's so much to cover in a computer assisted language learning course that right right uh, you really can't do it justice these are graduate level courses so uh what, what teaching communities are you involved with uh, outside of the university i know you mentioned calico it's primarily calico um uh calico.org uh if anyone's mm-hmm. interested and um also triple al which is american association of applied linguistics those are the two big ones that i i am involved with um, right. And those are, and then in my university, there's a very big community of people um, discussing uh, applied linguistics. We have our own little conference. Oh yes, um, yes, I'm, I'm familiar. Uh, yeah, every every um, every few years, and then we have talks and things. And and mm-hmm. I, I've gone around and given talks um, at other universities as well about um, some of my research uh, and these. Um, uh, there was a recent one I gave. It was to uh, it was at Duke University, and it was at a, uh, a games and learning center. Um, mm. And it was just amazing the resources they had. And really, I gave the talk to uh, the language instructors who were interested mm-hmm. in thinking about how they might integrate games into their classroom. Gotcha, and hopefully LLP now as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure, for sure. Yeah, we're we're really happy to have you um, um, as a reviewer. Um, if so, hey, how about? When uh, I finish my paper, would you would you be interested in reviewing that? Sure, sure, yeah, I'd love to give you some. some I mean, you, as as somebody that designed bridging activities, I think you you probably be the best person to look at it. it it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to for sure. Yeah. Um, so, just a bit of a, an abstract question, but w- what would you compare your journey in the field of games and language learning? How how would you how would you describe the journey? It's interesting, you know. I was thinking about this. <laughs> I read these questions beforehand, and I've been thinking right. about this a lot lately because um, I'm about to go up for a full professor, and I think I think I should I should should be successful. And then I just you know I'm looking at my whole everything that I've published and that I've written, and I just I mean this may sound funny, but I I feel like I've written so much about like the theory of it. I'm mm. just ready to build games. I'm just ready to just test all this stuff out that I keep writing about and. So, you know, this is my next step. I'm actually working with um, a few groups outside of the university. One, I'm working with the, um, uh, a, some, some, a game, educational gaming company to develop um, a language learning app for uh, the U.S. military. Um, I'm also wow. working on another project for um, revitalization of uh, Scottish Gaelic. Oh. Exciting. And I'm going to try to use inter uh look at interactive fiction and uh-huh. um those dynamics and i know that this is a sort of a growing community within um uh digital game-based language learning um people are interested in particular in sort of how narrative has this uh because it's you know of course it's involves language um how it can uh might be used better for um for language learning purposes one one sort of uh, what we call configuration or set of mechanics that I'm interested in looking at is how you might have one student playing one interactive fiction game 
uh, communicating with another student playing the same game, but as a different character. And then at mm. some point, you would have to communicate about what should happen next, and then they'll make sort of a decision mm. together. And so I feel like I feel like some of these dynamics are really unexplored. These social dynamics that can emerge out of um, that can affect language mm. use learning. Uh, you know, I compare it a lot with the idea in the, the pedagogy that's based on interactionism. Um, this idea of a, a what's kind of task-based le learning teaching this idea of a jigsaw task where you have right. student a knows like, uh, like point one and b knows point two and student a has to know point two and student b has to know point one mm. so they have to basically communicate about this concept well, mm. to me when you look at a game like overwatch you look at how how crazy uh, how complex it is where you have you have people will go in and they'll play a certain uh class of character um, and they'll have different sort of strengths that complement the other players. And then they get randomly sort of matched up with other players um, who play certain um, heroes in one way or the other. And then mm. that can like kind of, you know, there's sort of synergy happens and they can uh, succeed or fail um, against another team. And I just think there's so, it's so interesting there how all these different um, roles and powers or abilities kind of overlap and complement one another. And I feel like when we're looking at group dynamics and learning, language learning, those are the kinds of things uh, that, that we should be considering when we're designing uh, tasks. Uh, mm. for and when I talk about game-informed learning, that's sort of what I, what I mean is that, you know, by looking at how games are designed, I can think of how we might um, design learning environments uh, more effectively and more, uh, that are more motivating. It's interesting that you're working on many different kind of built game building projects and designing developing projects. Yeah, I didn't mm -hmm. expect that. Yeah, I'm just sort of, you know, I feel like I'm moving on because, uh, you know, in some ways I had to focus on the theory to uh, advance my career right. um, you know, because my university was... Uh, as all universities are, they're like, well, what is your, you know, publication rate? Um, how many things have you done? Right, right. Um, you know, but to me now, I just, you know, I, I want to get my hands in this and mm. um, what it's like. So that's where I'm at. Gotcha. Um, what do you think that new teachers need to start using games in the classroom? What what do they need? Uh, well, I think, you know, you kind of mentioned uh, something that you have uh, are, are practiced in the classroom, and that is an ability to sort of hone in on what your students need and want, uh, mm. and that kind of ability to assess uh, on the fly or at find those, those, mo those teachable moments, I think is, is important. And I, do, I know a lot of teachers who are interested in games have noticed that they've, they've been like, oh, my students really like to play video games. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, go with their lead and, uh, play some of the games that they want, you know, they like playing, um, you know, maybe, uh, have them teach you how to play the game, um, get into games yourself. Julie and I always say, you know, teaching, you know, trying to teach with games and having not played games is like, you know, trying to teach a novel and not having read it. 
you know i 100 percent agree i 100 percent. i think teacher game literacy is very high on the list of attributes mm -hmm. that you need to have if you want to start teaching with games yeah. And, you know, play a variety of games. Um, right. Just accept that you're going to be terrible at, you know, a lot of the games that you play. Yeah. Worry about it. Um, play I think you mentioned this in your book um, quite a lot as well about the, well, I mean, there's a there's a number of chapters um, dedicated to the affordances of games and you, you make parallels between different types of games and language teaching approaches as well. So to be cognizant of uh, how games do fit into language teaching and how they're similar to pedagogy then, so the idea of having both game literacy and pedagogical literacy are, are two really important things, right? That's that's right, and that's actually a nice concept to think about because you know with a T, you know, are you familiar with a T pack model? Yes, the, yes. There's even one that's that's been done for games as well, right? Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, well, if you could you could match match that one with the language one, um, because you're right, you have to have pedagogical knowledge you have to have language uh knowledge you have to have um content knowledge technology and then you'd have to have game knowledge yeah, uh, yeah. so and then with the games you have to have you know sort of the knowledge of the of game mechanics in general as well mm. as sort of the content of the game yeah um, it's um it comes down to um you know zagal's uh, idea of game literacy right you can take those points and apply them to your own teaching as well yeah, and so and then thinking also about you know how your regular teaching has gameful mm. elements to it that you may not have ever necessarily recognized as uh, being gameful. Yeah, but you know, teachers have always gamified certain portions of their teaching. I mean, I just my entire experience. And I look back on you know my elementary school experience, and I just remember all these points where the teachers would be like, "Okay, you know, we're going to do this for these points, and then we're going to have these awards and these special." <laughs> So that's that's something that good teachers always have done. Yeah. Um, where do you stand on this? Is I don't know if we want to get into this really, but where do you stand on gamification? Oh, um, <laughs> such um, a, yeah, such a big buzzword that everybody <laughs> uh, has, uh, you know, latched onto, and some people use it in place of you know what we're talking about. Um, good teaching, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> or, or just the use of any games in the classroom. They're like, oh, yeah, this is a mess. This is a mess where we're it's talking about, I yeah. I actually think that in, uh, there's a huge community of, uh, of applied linguists and, and language pedagogy people in Spain, actually, who are looking at the right, use of right. games and language learning. And they just call the whole field. Uh, please I'm like, don't. Oh, no. Like, no, yeah. that's else. But yeah. wait, someone needs to write a paper in Spanish, like, you know, teaching. <laughs> but, uh, that's really interesting. I, I mean, you know, Steve Thorne and I wrote a paper uh, that we have a chapter about this for is for games and learning. Um, and what, sorry, what was that? You have a chapter about? Uh, about metaphors for. Ah, right, right, right. Yeah. And learning. And, and we talked about the concept of gamification. Mm. We argue that it might be better to think of it as game as method. Right. Um, as you know, this is a method of teaching that I'm going to use um, to structure my, you know, my my test or my classroom. You know, I think the, 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 the point the point that you made about the, the task, um, the jigsaw task and its um, parallels to um, an Overwatch team, for example, I think that idea of the, that, that game informed um, approach is obviously much better than I think what's pretty much 
common in in the literature about you know applying badges and points and leaderboards to leaderboards, yeah. Yeah. yeah i think that's a, a better frame of mind to think about when you're thinking of using gamers method yeah i think i think so too and um to do to, to get to that point you have to play a lot of games and sort of step back mm. and try to analyze them and develop your game literacies but uh mm. so the the problem with gamification and you know you know if you're like trying to trick your students into learning something um to me is that it's still it's still a class it's still a test it's still right, an right, right. that has a grade possibly like attached to it and uh you know one of the big differences between games and you know lessons or you know classrooms is that the outcomes of games you know don't have this uh this you know high stakes right i mean mean, depending you know but they don't normally have this high stakes um so so in a way it's kind of obfuscating the obvious right it's saying uh, well you're going to get a grade anyway now we're just kind of making it fun right and the studies I've seen of it show that it works for, you know, like the top quarter of the students who are actually doing well with it, okay. but it can really demotivate like mm. the, the students who aren't really doing very well. Right. Then it sort of just becomes this, you know, treasury that they have to bear watching, you know, all of you know, <laughs> yeah. about, about themselves as they like go lower and lower on the leaderboard, you know? So I don't know. I think there, there are a lot of problems with it. Um, mm. Like independent learners, if it motivates you to learn something, something, then great, you know. Mm. Well, let me let me ask this last question then. So, where can we learn more about you and your work, John? Uh, I have an academia.edu page. Um, that's where I post most of my papers, um, and then I have a blog that I've been trying to keep up, mm. uh, but I haven't been very good. I I try to do once a month, and I'm about to write something. John Reinhardt.wordpress.com. Uh, and I have, think I have everything linked on the LLP journal. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Page there. So. Right. Well, Jonathan, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, honestly, it really, really has been a pleasure. Great um, talking to you too, James, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I um, hope so. I think we're trying to put a stake in the ground for teaching with games. I like, re- really emphasize the teaching. And my, my frustrations come from seeing studies about World of Warcraft, for example, um, you know, the, the affordances of World of Warcraft. Oh, there was a Ukrainian boy spoke to USA, a US boy in World of Warcraft, and aren't they great for language learning? But then you think, well, what are the logistics of actually getting 30 copies of World of Warcraft into the classroom? And that's where I'm starting. I'm like, I'm a teacher. I want to know how I can get a game into the class and how I can use it. So that's, that's the, the avenue that we're going to be pushing. And um, I just look forward to the continued so support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, John. Um, I appreciate it. And yeah. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, James. I appreciate it.